Welcome to another Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne and joined again by Nick Healy. How are you, Nick? I'm very well. Thank you very much. And I, I'm just kind of curious how you're going on your um, uh, jet lag post BlizzCon. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, it's funny, right? Normally we would record on a Tuesday. Didn't quite work, but uh, not not through my fault. I'm not, Yeah, I think you were busy and stuff, but uh, that would have been... Uh, the jet lag episode. Um, but I think I actually pulled up pretty well on the flight back. So also a weird thing about BlizzCon is that it's on a Friday and a Saturday. So they don't hold it Saturday, Sunday. Um, but for those of us who have to sort of do the whole dash to America and get back again, it, it's far more civilized because it means it's over on Saturday night. You fly home on Sunday. You get home here Tuesday morning. Whereas, you know, like, so it doesn't eat the whole next week. In that way that plenty of events where it finishes Sunday, so you're flying home Monday, you get home Wednesday, you're shattered for the rest of the week. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why they do Friday, Saturday, but um, thanks. Thank you very much. I really like that. How many BlizzCons is this for you? That is my first ever No, BlizzCon. I thought you did plenty more than that. That's really, what was it like? Um, it was a really, really, um, amazing event. Like it is definitely one of the best organized, um, events that I've ever been to. So you know how like, like Blizzard video games, you know, well known for the fact that they polish things, which means, you know, to such a fine sheen, then it takes them two extra years to bring out a game. Um, <laughs> Think of that applied to an event. The, the good example I can think of is, you know how it packs? And the closest um, closest event that I could think of was actually packs in terms of the friendliness, the atmosphere, um, how unified sort of everybody felt, you know, in terms of walking around and having a good time. I think, you know, if you're a fan of Blizzard games, you sort of feel like you've got a lot in common. And I think that was definitely compared to something like an E3 or whatever. But Pax has that, you know, really similar vibe. But you know how it packs. You've got the enforcers wandering around basically with rolls of gaff tape. Um, you know, if they need to create a, a queuing space, then they'll gaff down a few extra lines. Um, at BlizzCon, you know, they already know where they're expecting people to need to queue. And on the ground are these, you know, half centimeter thin strips of tape that have already been perfectly placed in order to give perfect <laughs> queuing. Um, and you're like, wow, yep, yep, they've even thought of exactly where they're going to put down pieces of tape to create queuing. <laughs> that is the exact kind of perfection I want to get from something like BlizzCon. Uh, do you want to just dive straight into some of the stuff you saw? Because I'm actually quite fascinated. Yeah, all right. So, because um, like I said, you know, it's my first ever BlizzCon, I think... I have watched BlizzCon remotely. They have the whole virtual ticket system, right? So you can, you know, it's, I think it's probably about 65 bucks, something like that these days, but it means you can watch every feed of like all the different stages. You can watch them on, you know, sort of through their apps on all the devices. Um, and you can, you know, Chromecast it or Apple TV it or whatever you like. So you can tune in remotely. And by doing that, you get a whole bunch of like the special virtual items in games that people who attended the actual conference also get. So, um, I've been watching it for years and years. So the big thing at the start of the show is, you know, the, the big opening ceremony where they announce all of 
the hot new games that they're announcing. And this was a great year to have gotten to be there on the ground. There were sort of four major announcements that took place. We had Diablo 4, which has been years of, you know, people thinking, is this the year we get Diablo 4? <laughs> um, and see, they were burned by Diablo 3. They announced Diablo 3, and then it took them five years to release it. It took five years to release it, and that was some time ago. When when I knew you wanted to talk Diablo 4, I went back to CNET articles that tracked down an interview I did on Diablo 3's expansion, Reaper of Souls. That was 2014. And I, if you'd asked me when Diablo 3 came out, having recently replayed it, I would have said, oh, you know, a year or two ago. <laughs> and look, they've come up with clever ways to sort of keep people excited. They added a new class a few years ago, the Necromancer. They have created this season system where, you know, within a season there's there's kind of cool things that they change about the rules so that you can just, you know, have fun and, uh, you know, and just keep keep kind of spicing things up. But anyway, we have now gotten the Diablo 4 announcement. It will still be probably two years before we get a release date, let alone an actual <laughs> release. Um, but, look, that's all the fans wanted. Last year they had their huge incident where they didn't reveal Diablo 4, but they did reveal Diablo Immortal, their new mobile game that is still not out yet. Uh, and, of course, fans went nuts because in that way that fans get really stupid sometimes, they were like, well, clearly you've been working on this instead of Diablo 4. And it's like, that's not how that's not how things works. Work. Nah. But I totally get people's frustration, right? So they got Diablo 4 this year. It is really, really dark. The intro cinematic, um, like there were signs up in the venue that there would be mature content in the opening ceremony. And if you didn't want to see the mature content, you could go into one of the halls where they just wouldn't play that, uh, you know, that part of the opening ceremony. So... The op- it was literally the first thing in the opening ceremony, and it was this really, really dark um, video introducing who the big bad of Diablo 4 is going to be, who is this you know demon who was literally the creator of Sanctuary, the, the world that it all takes place on. And it was gorgeous in that macabre, <laughs> dark way that stuff like um, Hannibal gets, you know, dark and oh. it's like, it's you know, beautiful in the way that they present blood. <laughs> I do look, it, I have not had a chance to see it. I have seen some of the art around it and I know I was joking, but there does seem to be a bit of character design in Diablo where everyone just goes more horns, more <laughs> yes. horns. Well, you know, if, if we're talking about Lilith, the, the creator of Sanctuary, then I, there's like, you know, she seems to be a fan of horns because she does give horns. How many does she have? Lots. Oh, a lot. Heaps and heaps and heaps. <laughs> Look, but the, yep. So, we, oh, yep. I just have to ask, any idea if I'm getting my druid back? Yes. Seriously? Druid is back. They announced three classes, <laughs> uh, barbarian, <laughs> sorceress. So that's a return to Diablo 2. And Druid. And the Druid is fun. I actually did, I played with the three classes uh, in the demo. And the beautiful thing they've done with Druid, right, is, you know, in every incarnation of Druids, you always have that situation where you have to, you, you have to choose a form and then do stuff in that form for a while yep. and then choose to change. They are operating on the idea that, no, nah, if you're a druid, you should be able to switch in and out of any form you want to be for any move you want to pull off. And they've created these really like seamless 
transition animations so that, you know, I'm standing there, I've got my big axe out, I'm kind of beating things up. Then I hit like one of the abilities and I just perfectly just snap into this bear form oh. and like shout and just charge. And then I hit another ability and next thing I'm this kind of werewolf type wolf man and I'm just like slashing people and I'm like, yeah, this is the druid I want to play. <laughs> I loved it so much. It was when Diablo 2 really ticked into into exactly what I was looking for in a game was the expansion that brought in the druid. It was those forms and it was that amazing, was it carrion worm that would just hover along eating things on the battlefield and restoring your health for you. It just, <laughs> it felt like one of the great characters, one of those great kind of classes to encapsulate everything you wanted from solo play to me. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, so that, yeah, it's looking really, really fun. Um, also, the you know, like the visuals do look like it's, you know, it has been a long time since Diablo 3 came out. So <laughs> the the upgrades to how it looks, things like, so, you know, it's still an isometric game. And I think that some people were worrying about the idea that maybe they're going to change it. Like this is, you know, the quintessential isometric action RPG. They've thankfully gone, no, we are going to deliver you more Diablo just turned up, you know, so... One of the cool things is that it doesn't feel flat in that way that while the Diablo 3 had, you know, 3D environments, but, and you could, you know, you could like see off ledges and things, but the level that you were running on was pretty flat. Yeah. And this has hillsides and things, and you feel like you are on a hillside. So there's just a lot of that sort of clever use of terrain. So that, you know, you do feel like and look like you're, you're fighting on like the side of a hill or you're, you know, you're running down a hill to kind of go down to a beach where there's like drowned undead guys coming out at you. And, um, yeah, just really, really, um, well, well executed. Okay, you, you sold me. Look, I was already going to play it. And the minute you said Barbarian, I just flashed back. I was living <laughs> with a couple of people back when that game came out. Hello, Robbie and Jace. I don't think you actually listen, but if you do, um, we were mad Diablo addicts. And uh, Jason would play Barbarian because of the way you could um, get potions out of whatever you'd killed. Except he would sing every time the potions popped out, Barbarian Chemist. <laughs> and I have never been able to stop doing that whenever I thought about the character. So nice to see Barbarian Chemist making a comeback. Thank you for my requisite in-joke that only two other people would understand. I believe it's <laughs> mandatory for every Australian podcast. Um, did you get... So, yeah. Did you get we also got... The, Overwatch. Yes, Overwatch oh. 2. So the big thing about Overwatch 2 is the idea of PvE. So actually now having story missions being able to explore this yes. this cool world that they've created that has only really been explored outside of the game in all the cool cinematics they've created uh, and now finally being able to go, yeah, I want to run off with the team to go and solve some problem in Rio or solve some problem in Paris and, and it's just co-op. Uh, and so that's exactly what's going to be a big feature of Overwatch 2. And, and there's kind of two modes of that. One is they're just calling them story missions. Um, so, and they said every story mission will have like an intro and an exit cinematic. So, you know, there'll be kind of all that sort of rich storytelling stuff attached to it. And then what they're calling hero missions. And this is like, uh, they're aiming for it to be this really replayable, uh, system of, again, I, it almost feels like 
I think for people who've been playing Destiny and that I saw at the show, they were saying it almost it looks like it's going to be like a strike team type thing, which again is PVE, but it's you and a few people and you like run through a mission to you know get some cool gear and things like that. And they are putting a leveling system into it so that you know whatever characters you like playing or you've been playing as you kind of level them up, you can start to enhance their abilities in different ways just in that mode. So it's not something that carries over to all the PvP stuff, because that would be crazy unfair. Um, but by just housing it within this this system, then they it does mean that the you know that the characters can start to do crazy things that they uh, have never been able to do before. So you know, like one little thing, I played Lucio in you know who's like a you know DJ healer guy, um, and one of his abilities is where his gun, like he's got this sonic gun, and it and it would normally just do damage to enemies. Uh, and he heals in a radius around him. So this changes the idea so that it then also lets you heal by shooting the gun at people um, as one of the upgrades you can choose. So there's sort of different ways of suddenly being able to change the way in which you're going to be able to play that character. So that looked pretty cool. Look, one of the things you said, and it's always struck me, is I was fascinated by the story of the world of Overwatch, but it wasn't my style of gameplay. So I would definitely be keen to changing up that gameplay to get just more of an idea. It's incredible writing, incredible fiction. I devoured all of those videos we could watch about the characters, but the actual game itself was never my style of game. I'd be really keen to give this a go. And look, the the cinematic that they launched uh, Overwatch 2 with, uh, total tearjerker vibes again. Like I was, you know, I wept multiple times during the BlizzCon opening ceremony just because they do such a good job on those cinematics and there is something about being right there in the room with all the other fans that just made it, you know, just really sink in even more. Um, and it is, it's just so good the way they sort of sell those stories. The other big thing about Overwatch, and this is a huge thing that they're aiming to do, is they are not forcing people to upgrade you, they have said that if people continue to play Overwatch 1, uh, they will be able to play with any new heroes that come out on the new maps that come out. They will just be able to keep playing that whole PvP system. Uh, and it just means they won't get the hero mission stuff, the story mission stuff, um, a bunch of visual upgrades and things that are going to be attached to all of that. I'm not sure if those things will roll out to original players or not, but they've really aimed for that idea that they want to leave nobody behind. They have no intention of splitting the community. Uh, everybody will essentially be playing together, whether they own one or two. And, you know, I guess they're just hoping, well, over time, people, you know, might want to upgrade to get all those kind of other parts of the game that they're adding in. And also any of the cool cosmetic stuff that people have unlocked uh, in the game so far, that will all carry into Overwatch 2 as well. So really, really cool attitude. Doesn't that just highlight, though, how difficult it must be to maintain a game and a gaming audience in the modern world? I mean, even back in the old days of WoW, you had to go and physically buy those boxes that had the insp- expansion disc if you wanted <laughs> yeah. to play as a panda or anything like that. And that was always the expectation. You went and bought that game. It's the subscription model of gaming has absolutely changed our expectations. And I, I honestly feel for some of the creators on how difficult it must be to keep up. Yeah. And look, that was really, really, you know, they, they made a point of just how clear they wanted to be about, about how that's going to work at this point. Because exactly, it's like, you know, people are spending real money on, you know, buying the loot boxes and buying all that stuff and that whole games as a service idea that it's like you can't, 
you can't just cut people off at some point in future. They want to, they want to feel like they were able to invest in that collection of stuff. And, you know, investment's probably a horrible word for it, but you know, it, they, they feel that emotional attachment, all the cool things they've earned and that some of them are things you have to earn. You know, there are certain skins you can only get at certain times of the year by playing special events and that's stuff that people want to get. Yeah. That's the outfit I love wearing. Yeah. My favorite, I have a, uh, Zenyatta is this awesome, uh, you know, healer robot guy and he's surrounded by orbs, uh, that float around his head. And I remember one Christmas, I got this amazing nutcracker version <laughs> of Zenyatta where the orbs are nuts floating around his head and he's dressed up like the nutcracker from, you know, the nutcracker suite. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is now just who Zenyatta is when I play him. Uh, so yeah, all that stuff is so important. Look, as someone who caught a lot of Pikachu in a uh, Santa hat come last um, uh, uh, play, oh god, what's the word I'm looking for? Pokemon Go tournament. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand the appeal of that. <laughs> I, look, I want to touch on some of the maybe not so pleasant side of what you might have seen regarding the politics and the apology, but there were some more launches that we should touch on. I think. Yeah. So. Uh, World of Warcraft named its next expansion, which is going to be called Shadowlands. Awesome cinematic. I mean, as always, but they really toyed with fans in this cinematic by, uh, look, yeah, I'm sure people have watched it by now if they're desperate. If not, like skip over 60 seconds. Um, Starting where, now. Yeah, Sylvanas, yeah, Sylvanas, uh, has, yeah, she's been slowly being shifted towards being this bad person, but not necessarily, like there's always that thing of maybe there's going to be some kind of salvation for her at some point because she's just the, you know, she's going to be the person who does what it takes to blah, 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 whatever. Um, Shadowlands uh, starts with this, you know, her walking up to the Lich King in Ice Crown and she basically fights him, takes the crown and everyone's thinking, oh my God, she's going to put it on. She's going to be the Lich Queen, you know, this whole thing. And instead, she's just holding it. She's looking at it. There's this wonderful pause. And then she tears the helm in half and oh. just destroys it. In, you know, in a law sense, it's like, that's, that's far bigger. There's always been a Lich King. The law is always this idea that there must always be a Lich King. That's the only thing that can control the undead from just like running rampant across Azeroth. Um, and she rips it in half and then literally the sky cracks open above, uh, yeah, Ice Crown Citadel. And there's this weird other tower kind of upside down up in the sky now. And it's just like, what has she done? <laughs> um, and so basically the next expansion is that everybody is going to the afterlife to deal with what has happened and, you know, and fight to kind of fix this thing that's going wrong in the way that actually people are sent to their afterlife. Um, and it means, yeah, it's just this epic kind of other way of thinking about it. There's like heaps and heaps of new stuff going on. Um, go and read about that. But the, they're also making a big change to the game in that they're changing the way levels work um, so that instead of being so far, it is up to level 120. They're changing it so that we will start the next uh, campaign at level 50 and essentially squashing the levels down, changing how leveling works if you're starting all over again. And one of the cool things about that is they're actually changing it so that it will be a lot faster, but in the way that they've just launched WoW Classic recently, so they're like, go back and play it the way you used to play it. They are actually making it so that when you start a character, you can say... 
I want to play my next character through the old Lich King expansion, or I want to play it through Pandaria again. And you will be able to play that one expansion and that will get you caught up all the way to then jumping into the newest expansion again, Shadowlands. So it's kind of that way of letting you go back and enjoy those old stories again without it being like so fast that you just sort of move through those levels before you ever get to finish the story of an old expansion, you know, which for newer players, it's like they might not have ever experienced any of those things. And so to reformat all that so that it's like, actually, that will be my character's journey to them being ready for the newest stuff in the game is a really, really cool way to change it. So I've not played since the Pandaria expansion. That was, what, 2012. So it's been a long time. But back then, I always thought the first 10 levels were some of the most exciting stuff because it clipped along really quickly. But you were also learning at the time. And I used to go back and just kick off a new character, usually a class I hadn't played, just for that 10 levels, just to get that experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, they said leveling will be like 60 to 70% faster. Um, Part of that reduction is the idea that every single level will be meaningful, that you will get cool new abilities every single time you level. So exactly that, that you feel constantly rewarded, that it's fast and, and that you're still getting to experience all the cool old stories in, in full rather than, well, I've outleveled that zone and now everything <laughs> I hit here is already dead and I'm not getting any, getting any experience. Uh, I, I guess I need to move to the next area. <laughs> But they did that really well. There's nothing worse than a game that doesn't give you a good indicator of when it's time to move on to your next zone. And and the story-driven way that WoW always had to make sure that you pushed into that next area and found a good reason to go was some of the great writing about it. Yeah. And so then last thing to touch on is Hearthstone. They've added some new cards. They do that every year. Um, but they've also launched a new mode called Battlegrounds, which is based on all these auto chess games that have started to take off this year. Um, like there's Dota auto chess, uh, League of Legends launched, uh, Teamfight Tactics. So this is their take on it. But a lot of people thought, oh, maybe they'll add that to Heroes of the Storm, which is their sort of MOBA game. And instead, they've put it into the card game. And I've been playing it, and I love it. And it is weird and tricky. Um, it's in beta at the moment, and I think the public beta goes live next week. Um, but the idea is that you, know, you don't have to own any of the cards. You you jump in when you play around. Uh, each sort of, you, you know, you choose like a, a special version of a hero that has special abilities, and then you're just trying to put together a little team, and then they basically automatically fight the team on the other side of the board. And it's it's like eight players are in any given round, and it's that slow sort of working through to see if you can win that sort of eight-player battle or whether you you know fail miserably like I have done many times. I've managed to win <laughs> twice um, now after having slowly, you know, it really takes that thing. If you played a few times, you start to work out, oh, okay, I have to think of, you know, you need to do things like oh, I need to focus all my abilities around mechs, you know, or, you know, based on the first few cards you get the chance to buy, you sort of then sit there and go, okay, I'm going to make this a demon deck this time, you know, or a demon lineup because um, it's not a deck either. Um, and and then you try to just focus on the cards that might boost all of your demons or do different things. So um, a really, really fun system. And yeah, it's, you know, it's so hard to like describe it. Go and look it up. Um, or yeah, jump in if you haven't played Hearthstone in ages. 
I think well worth checking out next week when this thing drops um, next Tuesday. I got to say, I barely understood a word of that. No, I've never heard the phrase auto chess before entirely. So rather than me feeling incredibly old, I will just go and look that up by myself and try and work out what on (laughs) earth you were talking about. Can we talk about the politics and the apology really quickly? Because obviously that was a big component of what happened. Yeah, before the show, everybody was wondering how are they going to deal with it? Are they going to, you know, like, are they going to not deal with it? Um, and so this is, you know, um, a month ago, Blitzchung, a professional Hearthstone player, made a free Hong Kong call in a post-match interview during Grandmasters level Hearthstone competition. So I mean, he's in this elite tier of Hearthstone players, and yeah, he won a match, and then yeah made a you know a very clear call for and he is from Hong Kong, right? Like super close to home yeah. for someone like that. Um Blizzard in within two days had banned him for a year, had stripped him of his earnings, uh, and Blizzard's uh Chinese publisher even sort of posted messages to Weibo, which is, you know, like Twitter inside China, basically saying that they, you know, defending the pride of China and things like that. So fan outrage around the world was huge. Um, I think, you know, and absolutely rightly so. It just absolutely felt like they were just doing what China wanted them to do. Um, and yeah, it took, it took them a long time to respond to it. They did do an apology. They restored his, uh, earnings. They also, uh, reduced the ban to six months. And then basically before the opening ceremony, literally before it kicked off, um, the president of Blizzard, Jay Allen Brack, walked out and, delivered what I feel like really is the clearest apology you are going to get out of a corporate leader. That is not going to make everybody happy, but it was a very personal apology. And like something I noted straight away was he used I a lot, not we, which is that classic corporate we, um, (laughs) but instead said that, you know, I am sorry, I take responsibility. Um, He, you know, spoke, he pointed to two things that he felt they did wrong you know one was they moved too quickly um you know uh, camera, i think it was that they didn't stand up to their own values in the way that they responded to it you know and it's i think it like it was a really big deal um and it, i think it just it lifted a lot of the weight around the show that meant that fans could just you know get on with okay i think i feel like i'm allowed to enjoy the rest of the show now um Jalen Brack also made himself available for a few interviews. Um, he was interviewed by PC Gamer, uh, by IGN, and by me. And that's the first time I've said it out loud. Um, that's appearing in the AFR very, very shortly. Um, and, yeah, he he was really, really um, clear about a few things and, and made some really critical points that I think are really sort of um, – Important in that, you know, he basically said they're, they're immature, you know, and that they have never been in this situation when it comes to esports meeting with politics in the same way that sports meets with politics, um, a lot of times. And he wanted to kind of really emphasize that idea that, you know, that they screwed up because like they just didn't grasp how big this would become. Um, you know, given what happened, but he also in a, in the PC gamer interview, they asked a really, a couple of really good, 
um, pointed questions and point out things like the Weibo message. And he said basically that, you know, that they do not control anything within their publishing inside China. You know, NetEase is their publisher in China and controls all their media channels. But he said they communicate a lot around a lot of messaging. And if they had been asked, they would never have approved that message. So he sort of quite clearly was pointing out they were not asked, you know, about is this, you know, we're going to post this. What do you think? It's like they would have said no. Um, so, again, it was like that. The swiftness of the reaction inside China was kind of too much for them as well. Said the processes are in place now to make sure that if any crazy things happen again, that that it's going to be better managed. Um, but a really pertinent point he pointed out was that actually – Compared to almost all other esports organizations and sports organizations, uh, they actually have their contracts set up so that while, yeah, and the reason that they're holding the, the ban in place is they said it is a contractual breach to talk about politics on, uh, on an official stream. That is, you know, part of their contracts. And, you know, and I know Blitzchong at the time said he expected some kind of backlash. Um, you know, it was more than he expected at the time. Um, but, you know, anyway, they were like, we feel like we have to hold that line. We do not want the door to open wide open to everyone using uh, our major esports events as a platform. But he pointed out that their personal, uh, personal media channels, personal streaming channels, Politics is actually allowed. It is, they do not stop them from talking about politics, um, in those environments. They do still stop them from, you know, racial vilification, homophobic comments, all that stuff. Players have been banned for, or, you know, banned and fined for those sorts of things in the past. But that for people, if they want to talk about politics, they are actually allowed to do that on those channels, which, like I say, is totally different to a lot of the other organizations. Look, I think you're right. Not everyone's going to be happy with the way it was handled, but. At least they did handle it and didn't shy away from it. And the AFR article I'll be waiting for, I, I think you weren't going to say it, but I'll tell everyone to go and have a read of your junkie article as well, which I think is an ex- excellent wrap-up and is out today. Thanks. That's all right. Oh, yeah, and just the one other cool thing about, you know, uh, that whole situation was that Hearthstone being the game that, you know, was the hub of all these problems and... China had being tied up in it all that actually a Chinese woman came and won the world championship in Hearthstone <laughs> and it was awesome. She was lovely and, and what I loved about her in the games was actually she was super chill. Like she seemed like the most, you know, just calm person while playing had that whole thing where she's just kind of you know head resting on a fist just kind of relaxed wearing a hoodie just like playing like it's no big deal you know completely broke down in tears when she won but in that like she destroyed everybody she like only dropped two games in her semi-final apart from that everything else was a clean sweep just a total monster was just brilliant to see and, you know, broke that kind of gender thing for all Blizzard esports where, you know, a woman has, has won that. And she made some great comments about that too, but you can read some of that over in that other story as well. You can indeed. I am. Um... I want to go from the cutting edge you've been talking about to something uh, almost a decade old. Remember last time we chatted, I was talking about how I'm trying not to buy new games because I have food I do at home. That, yeah. Nick. Well, I bought how new has games. How's that been going? Have you I been playing all your old games? I bought new games, but I didn't buy new new games. That they're just <laughs> new for me. I picked up Icewind Dale on Switch. 
Now, I wow. love Beamdog. I love what they do. You know what it is? I think I've just been chatting to a few people about D&D lately, including you, and it's just got me really hungry for those old-school RPG games. Yeah. Some of the first games I ever really got into back in high school was Pools of Radiance and Curse of the Azure Bonds. Yeah. I'm playing on an Apple IIc back in the day, and they were clunky. I remember them as just being amazing. Like, I, I, I don't even want to go back and see what they were like now. I just don't. <laughs> yes. I want to live with my memory of them. There is something about the Switch. Like, I do not think I could feel good about playing Icewind Dale on a PC, even if I could emulate it. I just don't think it's going to have that same effect. The Switch feels to me like the perfect platform for going back to those older games, and I do not know why. I'm trying to unpack it. And especially when we're talking about a PC game like Icewind Dale, uh, all those keyboard commands, all those mouse clicks, the fact they've actually managed to make that work on the Switch with the controls that are available to you is an absolute masterpiece. It's so good. It's just bringing me back to that world of character creation, the writing that was there, the questing that was available. And sure, it's, you know, maybe maybe the voice acting when you do have voices isn't exactly the level we've anticipated these days. Boy, oh boy, I'm having a whale of a time, including uh, last Sunday, I'd been in Melbourne for a, a work trip. I'd been at some training. Um, Qantas lost my bags for the third time in four oh, flights. I'm not oh making no. this up. I was delayed overnight in Sydney. I got back to Dubbo, absolutely wrecked. I didn't leave the house on Sunday because I sat there on the couch and I played Icewind until the battery ran out on the Switch. And that was, I have not wanted a game like that in a really long time. And doing it in a game that's coming up to a decade old blew my mind. I don't know what it is about the Switch. Are you playing any older games on the Switch or all new stuff? No, yeah, like the Switch has really mostly been a device for our kids, so I haven't really been checking out much of the back catalogue stuff. Like, I didn't even know Icewind Dale was on Switch. I mean, how do the controls even work? Are are you using the touchscreen a lot, or is it all... Uh, buttons and sticks. It's all buttons, no touchscreen at all, which makes it even weirder. And I've got to admit, look, it felt clunky to begin with. And um, there's that always that thing that when, say, you know, your A button is the proceed button on one controller and it's the X button on something else. When you try and play another game, you just keep backing out of menus or pressing the wrong button. I'm doing that now while trying to watch TV via the PlayStation. I'm like, no, I'm pressing the wrong buttons because I'm using the Switch control button config <laughs> now and I keep stopping watching The Flash or whatever I was trying to do because I'm catching up on old TV as well. Um, it is only the controls, but they've put a lot of thought into it. And it, 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 again, it's not perfect, but it's compelling enough to keep me going, um, even to the point where I have to not play it some evenings because I know it'll go in past my bedtime. Yeah, wow. Past so my bedtime. I, like, I think it's a really good point that that scale of the screen makes a huge difference, right? Like if you, yeah, if you're trying to load that up, on what is, you know, nowadays probably, oh. you know, like a QHD screen, you know, or a 4K screen. And as, you know, they, they'll do everything they can to make it look okay, but you just, you see every pixel and you can tell how old it is. By the way, did, did you call it coming up to 10 years old, Nick? I did. Is that what you said? Yeah, I did. Icewind yeah, Dale. Icewind Dale came out in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, coming up to 20 years old. <laughs> when you're close, yeah, in terms of the round number. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. This is But, not yeah, a, oh. so, like, you can get some of these through, um, what's that awesome store? Uh, good old games, gog.com. Yes. Yeah, and they do a great job of, they actually, yeah, they, they're a store. 
but they do also do a lot to um, modify the game so that they will run on a modern Windows machine. And I think one of the things they've done with some of those games, which is quite clever, is sort of open up that view window so that, um, you know, that instead of seeing that very small section of map we might normally see um, back in the day when we were playing these things on, you know, VGA screens or whatever, <laughs> um, that they've gone, okay, well, let's leave the, you know, the pixel ratio kind of similar so that the pixels will still be very small, but now your view window is like, you know, four times as big. Um, there'll still be the fog of war and all that stuff so that you can't necessarily see, get information, but, you know, just clever little modifications like that. Um, but I think, yeah, playing that stuff on a Switch really does make sense in that context of, you know, like I could totally imagine like Diablo 2 in that same sort of way of being able to go back to an old game that again, very, very pixely if you try to play it on a big screen, but down on that portable screen would be gorgeous. Give me Arcanum immediately, please. I need my steampunk fix. I need my yeah. half orc in a top hat with a revolver. I, I just, I'm so desperate to play that game again. And don't tell me it's 20 years old. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I just don't now, want to hear it. I know that you set me homework. I did. And I have indeed watched. Uh, the first episode of Watchmen. I have not watched more. Is, is there two or three episodes There's out now? Three as of Monday. There are three. Well, uh, I've watched the first one. Um, but you can dive in first. Um, how are you vibing with, uh, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen? I'm absolutely hooked. I am just absolutely hooked. I'm hooked to the point where I am watching YouTube videos of people unpacking references and that's its own hell. Because there's something about the, <laughs> the YouTube videos who do that. It's like, and as you can see, this booth is blue. It could be blue to reference Dr. Manhattan. I'm like, it's called the Dr. Manhattan booth. It's clearly <laughs> referencing Dr. Manhattan. You don't even have to speculate this anymore. <laughs> I cannot get enough of it. I think they've done an incredible job of world building. And, and what they've done incredibly well is, is look at the end of the comic book series, which took place in the mid-80s and then genuinely thought out what three decades would mean to how the world would be built now. They've thought yeah. through the politics. They've thought through the technology, even things I never expected, repercussions that are there, like why is the tech a little older than we'd expect? That's really interesting. They explain that. They've even introduced, and I haven't seen this done for a while, uh, the website, a supplementary HBO website where you can go for more information called Pedipedia. <laughs> where you can actually download documentation, you can download uh, newspaper clippings, all from the point of view of an FBI agent, who we go on to meet in third episode. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that'll be good. I'm absolutely Look, sold on it. I really am. I'm a massive fan of Lindelof. You know, I The Leftovers is probably one of my favourite series from the last 10 years. Hmm. Um, absolutely adored it. Um, he He did do Lost as well, didn't he? He did. And I, I was even a defender of the last season of Lost. Um, I think it lost its way in the middle for a while, um, but I did like how it finished. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I struggled with the first episode in a way, but I think it was because I hadn't read anything about it. I didn't know. And so I was like, what are we, where are we? Where is the, up to is this the comic stuff? Okay. The squid. I get, okay. This is comic. Uh, related because that's more like the ending of the comic than the movie. Um, and it just, I like, I felt pretty lost in the way that it sort of framed itself. So the big thing that I felt like was 
I didn't want to have to chase it one week at a time. So I think I am, I'm going to put this into binge mode once it sort of gets near the end of the series and, you know, and then try to time it so that I watch it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of ready for the last episode when that's airing, um, not just kind of leave it for a few months, but I felt like I'm, I personally feel like I'm going to get more out of it if I, wait a couple more weeks and yeah, and then sort of dive in. I totally understand that. I'm the exact opposite. I, I want a <laughs> week in between to think it over. I, I worry that if I binged it, I would not be paying attention to the episode. There is yeah. a tendency we're just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to watch the next episode, so I'm just going to quickly grab a glass of wine or or make a sandwich while that's playing in the background. I don't want that. Yeah, I meanwhile, you're like, there's five references it. on screen right now. Yeah, I want to be absolutely <laughs> glued to it. I think they're doing an incredible job. And what they've done by third episode, and I, I do worry that maybe they're not going to give us enough information, that they're going to keep hinting and, and doing that very lost thing about never explaining what happens. Mm. They've shown by third episode, episode that they are willing to answer a few questions and I oh, just hope they keep that up. Yeah. And look, I mean, it looks gorgeous. Um, I've forgotten the actress's name. Uh, Regina King. Regina King. Playing Stunning. Sister Knight. So good. So good. And um, even, yeah, in that first episode, we sort of like, oh, okay, cool. Yep. You know, and Don Johnson's part of this. Whoop. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson as Looking Glass is just incredible to me. The the cowboy voiced superhero. Ah, look, I could talk about it for ages, but please, if anyone who hasn't checked it out yet, ignore the movie. It does. It's nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. Go and grab yourself if you haven't a copy of the graphic novel. It has never been out of print. Read it yeah. and then start watching it. It's a and- stunning graphic novel. And yeah, I really do appreciate that this is it's that idea of, okay, yep, yeah, it's a modern series based on time having passed since the events of the graphic novel. I think that's really, really clever. And do remember that, as always, Alan Moore has washed his hands of it and wants nothing to do with it. Yep. Yeah. But that the co writer, uh, I've forgotten his the name. Yeah, Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons, Gibbons is Gibbons. on board. Yeah, he's, he's right on board, So, which is nice. Nice to see. Hey, I'm looking at time. Do you want to talk a little bit of Apple AirPods? Okay, I'll just make it a really quick throwaway. I'm testing out Apple AirPods Pro, which of course, because the first <laughs> one is the AirPods, general. <laughs> and therefore it is like the Attorney's General. It is the AirPods Pro. Um, they are great. They're great in a way that the original AirPods uh, were okay. You know, like they were like, yep, they do their job really well. Um, they certainly, yeah, lit a fire under a few of the other companies out there when it came to, you know, creating, uh, True wireless earbuds that sit in each ear separately. Um, you know, a lot of people complain that the first ones were a bit loose and things like that. The pros are all about adding noise cancelling, and that means they actually now have a snug fit into your ears. Um, they use they use a kind of a new, you know, essentially, I mean, it's Apple, right? A proprietary version of the little kinds of you know soft um, earbuds that you would get. Um, but partly one of the clever things that they do, they, it comes with, you know, a set of small, medium, large sized ones in the box. And when you put them in and, and they, you know, the mediums are on there as standard, there is then an option in the Bluetooth settings to run an earbud test. Oh. And it actually tells you if they are fitting properly based on noise leakage. Because of course, They've got microphones in the actual earbuds themselves for the noise cancelling. So it's essentially able to run a little audio test and then say whether or not it it thinks that they fit properly. Hang on. Every single pair of earbuds I've ever tested have had microphones in them and not one of them has offered that at all. 
Yeah, it's just such a clever idea to go, like, I don't know which ones are the right ones for my ears. And, and yeah, I just tested it on medium and it went, yeah, the, the, you know, there's, uh, there's a good fit there. There's no noise leakage. And you're like, great, sweet. <laughs> I'm all set. Um, there's a button on it so that you actually, you know, like a, a short, a short click and that's like play pause. And a long press then gives you the whole transparency type mode where it turns on the the microphones so then you can hear the world around you more clearly. Um, so that, you know, crossing the street, walking in the city, that kind of thing, sometimes you actually want to know what's happening yes. around you um, versus then just shutting out the world. Um, and so just really simple controls. But um, so far, I'm happy. Uh, reviewers I've seen have said, you know, um, battery life is is much the same as the old ones and they wish it was longer. Um, but they are like tiny little buds in your ears. And when you put them back in their case, they recharge off the case a few times through the day. So, and, you know, I, I think the balance feels pretty good on these. Um, they're pretty exy though. So it's like most of, I think most of $400, um, which is roughly the price of most noise-canceling earbud type things these days. And I've got to say, please, 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 if you are a runner, a cyclist, anything like that, if you're wearing them in the evening at night, do make sure you're using that sound flow through. Yes. Please don't run yep. with earphones dangerously blocking out your hearing, especially if you're in a suburban area. I want to end up just giving a huge shout out to Summer Fall Studios for absolutely fully funding Chorus and Adventure Musical. I am so proud to be a backer of it. I'm so excited to see what they can do. And it is so nice to see a good crowdfunding success story. Yeah, and the videos are so cool. I'm so looking forward to this thing. Um, I love that it's, you know, I, as soon as I watched it, I'm like, is this a bit sp- inspired by like the Buffy musical episode? And sure enough, in their notes, they're like, yep, that's one of the various forms of inspiration for this. I'm like, yes, I want epic fantasy modern era adventure challenging gods in musical, f- in musical form. And love romance. It. And romance. And yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, really, what good modern RPG doesn't let you romance? But I do have a feeling that the people involved are really going to have some fun with the romance options in this. Do not uh, do not imagine that David Gator has not thought out exactly what this romance is going to be like for every single iteration. And to make it a musical romance, exactly. It's just so good. Did you see on Twitter, Anthony Rapp, of course, um, singer uh, from Rent, I think uh, he's done that Star Trek Discovery recently, heard that Troy Baker was doing a voice on on Chorus and wants to get involved and was tweeting about how excited Anthony Rapp was for Chorus. That is brilliant. I love that when people are like, please, can I get in on this? Yeah. I want to I want to roll. Thanks, please. <laughs> That's awesome. So a huge shout out to Summerfall. Incredible work they've done. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next. Yeah. No, it, I, yeah, really. It's going to be great to follow along with this uh, as it gets made. Wonderful. Hey, thank you. And thanks for chatting when you are probably, let's be honest, still a little wrecked from BlizzCon by the sounds of it. Uh, only a little, <laughs> but enough that I'm cranky when I'm training uh, teenagers uh, in a basketball team. <laughs> thanks, uh, Nick. And of course, everybody can find all our stuff on the social medias. I'm at Seamus. Nick is dr underscore NIC at Dr. Nick. We are at Byteside as well on Twitter, uh, at the Byteside on Instagram, though I never update that. I have to start updating it properly. Um, and Byteside on Facebook. You can email ask at Byteside.com. And yeah, hopefully we'll be able to start handing out some lucky dip prizes. I'm pretty very soon. excited about that. And we'll do I this again brought, next week. I brought a few things home from uh, BlizzCon that'll go in the lucky oh, dip. Oh, hello. Bag. All right. Cool. Yeah. Done. Cool. Take care, everybody, and have a good one.